We're in Acts chapter 9 this morning. And we'll begin with a quote by John Bon Jovi. No, no, not that one. <laughs> it's my life! No, uh, uh. No man is an island. I'm just kidding, Angie. I'm just kidding. That's not John Bon Jovi. That's John Donne. I'm just being silly. I just know you'd pay more attention to Bon Jovi than some dead poet. John Donne once said, no man is an island. It's a great quote, and it means that we're not alone. Like Chad shared, they're trying to, they're trying to reach students, and, even, and he said that God's already working before they even enter the conversation. No man is an island. Now, as a Baptist, as an American, a lot of the Bible stories I've heard are told in an island kind of way. Moses by himself with his cowboy hat and his boots fighting Pharaoh. Paul, the great church planner, by himself, raw, just doing all these great things. But when you read the Bible, it's never just someone by themselves. There's always a community around them. Like Paul is never by himself. He's always got a crew of people, men and women, old and young, and there's always being new people trained up and, new, and, and mature believers being sent out to do more work. It's never static. It's never a, a pond that's just sedentary with the, the gross green growing up. It's always a river flowing. You understand? No one's an island. The stories in the Bible of the great ones are never the story of individual people. Their stories always involve many people seeking God. As a, as, as a young American, um, when I got saved, I, I only heard the superhero story. I always thought Paul was by himself, just, just a superhero, untouchable, unwoundable. That's not what really happened. Even the story of how Saul became Paul is not just him by himself meeting Jesus on the road and all of a sudden he's like, I was Clark Kent and now I'm Superman. That's not how the story goes. It's always a community of people serving the Lord, making a difference. With Chad, who just shared, it's not just him. There's a group of 40, there's, there's a group of, of a bunch of student leaders leading Bible studies. And that's success, right, Chad? Not how many people are in your Bible study, but how many students have we empowered who are leading their own friend groups in study towards the Lord? That's the win. Not how much am I doing, but how much are we doing? In Acts 10, this is what happens. Acts 9, verse 10. The story we read last week, how Saul on the road to Damascus gets just the light blinds him. He falls to his knees. He learns that Jesus is the Christ. He's told to go to Damascus and wait there. So he's in the city waiting. This is what happens next. Verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Who the stink is Ananias? And here's the thing in the Bible. The Bible doesn't keep the camera on Saul. The, Luke, the writer, wants to show us that Saul is not alone. 
that Saul's journey from Saul to Paul has other people involved in the story. It's not just me and Jesus. It's me, it's us, it's Jesus, and it's God's people ministering to one another. So Ananias, the Lord said to him in a vision. So this guy's praying, has a vision, and the Lord speaks, Ananias. And he says, here I am, Lord, which is the correct answer when the Lord speaks. You're praying, you hear the Lord grab you, you're like, I'm here, I'm listening, what's up? The Lord said to him, rise, go to the street called Straight, at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in, lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. So God says, Ananias, Ananias. Now, I don't know you, I pray, and sometimes God will like give me a nudge, a little, little nudge, little, little nudge. God gives Ananias more than a nudge. God gives him the whole path. God's like, here's the address. Here's the guy you're looking for. And when you get there, lay your hands on him and pray. That's, that's a good day. If God told me, Ernesto, I want you to go to like 1522 Garland, look for this dude named, you know, I don't know, Zechariah. I don't know what his name is. And to do this, get there and say these words to him. I'd be like, I know my task for the day. Like, that would be awesome. Ananias knows exactly what God would have of him. Go here, find this guy, you pray for him. And not only that, but he's waiting for you. He knows you're coming. Sometimes I get asked to go to the hospital, visit like a relative. So we'll say, go visit my aunt. She's sick in the hospital, back before COVID. I'd show up there, walk into this random stranger's room, and I'm like, yeah, I know your niece. They'd be like, why are you here? And I'm like, oh, she told you I was coming, did she? Like, nothing like that. Literally, Saul is praying, and he knows someone's being sent to him. So what does Ananias do? But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard, about, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. Now here's the thing. Ananias is he's right about everything. God says, go here, this guy, do this thing. And Ananias is praying, he's like, uh, Lord, this guy you're sending me to, he's a killer. He's a bad person. This guy is in town with papers from the chief priests in Jerusalem. He's come to arrest me and my friends. This is a bad person. And the question they thought you feel behind the, the words. There's fear. If you send me to this guy, if you send me to this guy, he might arrest me. I might end up in chains, chains brought back to Jerusalem. There's fear. And everything Ananias says is right. It's funny because like, man, I heard some rumors and all the rumors were true. They're all true. This guy is that bad and worse. But God in his kindness doesn't crush Ananias for his fear. We are allowed to talk to God. We are allowed to respond to God honestly. We are. And when you're, if God leads you to something, 
and you're like, Lord, I don't want to do this. You're allowed to talk to him about it. That's, that's, he's so kind and so patient, he receives our murmuring, our complaining, our doubt, our hesitation. When my wife and I, uh, years ago, we were youth pastors, and that season came to an end, and we were praying where we wanted to go in the world. We wanted to be missionaries. We had a world map with all these places, South Africa, Guatemala. Guatemala is one of the most beautiful countries in the world. They call it the land of eternal spring. It is always 76 and not humid. It is, and there's like parrots. It's awesome. It's an, like, Lord, send me to Guatemala. I will have fresh pineapple and orange juice every day of my life. I wake up and look at a mountain, like, oh, dude, it's just awesome out there. So we're praying about where to go. And of all the places we were praying about, there was a place we had been that wasn't, wasn't even on the prayer chart, the prayer map, and that was India. We had gone there two years before, and we left India. We're on the plane. I'm like, what do you think of that, babe? She goes, that was incredible. We'll never come back here. That's what she, she said that. She was like, this was awful. Like, it was great, but it was awful. It was just so hard. Like, the weather... The no toilet, the no toilet paper, the food wasn't the food we eat as Americans. There was no bread, no meat, no cheese. That's my diet. That's all I eat. And it wasn't there. So we came home, we're like, you know, we're going to support this work financially, but we will never go back there. So we're praying about where to go as missionaries. And what does God do? Just, you need to go to India. And you know, we just go, yes, Lord, we're your servants, we'll go to India. Now we were like, but Lord, <laughs> but Lord, we love you so, we've been so good. <laughs> like, let us go somewhere nice. He let us respond. He let us work through the calling. He's that good. And Ananias is like, listen, you're calling me to this guy named Saul, but I don't know if this guy's dangerous for me and for all. What if he catches me and tortures me and says, who are your friends? What am I going to do then? But Ananias does get up and he does go to Saul. And we see here in this moment how God works through his people to call others to his name. We are co-laborers with Christ. Christ legitimately, God does choose people, okay? God does choose people. But he equips them through his church. This thing called the church, this community of believers we have, God uses to build up his people. No one is an island. We're not in this alone. Saul met Jesus on the road. But his next step is with Ananias. You might have had an experience with God where you meet God, it's like, I was, I, was, I was walking, I was driving. I had a buddy of mine who was in a tree, had done some, he had smoked some bad pot, and he was in this tree freaking out, and he was, uh, it's just the story he told me. And he's like, and I knew up there there was a God. I never smoked again. And I'm like, that's crazy. <laughs> like, that's how he got saved, was in that tree, like, 
That's where he started, but that was his first step. But his next step was the people of God coming around him and walking with him and showing him the way. You understand? We are co-laborers with Christ. Ananias is called to bring Saul closer in. So, verse 15, the Lord said to him, Go, go to Saul. Why? For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. I know Saul did all these bad things, but I have chosen him for a purpose. I have a purpose for this murderer. I have picked him out. I have chosen him. I have given him a path to walk. He was chosen for purpose. And listen, Paul has a mighty purpose. There are no Jews in this room, I don't think. We're all Gentiles, okay? Mexicans, African Americans, Europeans. We're not Jewish. Paul brought the gospel to our pagan ancestors. That's what he did. We know the story because Paul, the church planner, wandered around the entire stinking known world. God chose him. Now, God didn't only choose him. God has chosen you for a purpose. Now, that purpose may not be celebrity. The world may never know your name. You may have 15 Facebook followers, and that's your life. And that's okay. Your social media presence is not your value. The bigness, listen, having a reality TV show does not mean you are known or loved. You may be here and God has called you to care for your aging parents. That's your purpose for a season. That is a glorious and beautiful purpose. Maybe you're here and your kids are young and God has called you to put down your career and to raise those children under the guidance and admonition of the Lord. That is a high and holy purpose. Maybe you're working at your workplace, there's someone at the work at your work that you see God saying, you need to pray for that person, that man, that woman. You need to pray for them daily and love them and care for them because I, I want to meet them and you're in their life. God might give your heart to that one person and your purpose in this season is to be light to that one soul. That's a great and glorious purpose. There was a time in my life where I wanted to be famous. But I read, I've been reading, studying the life of Billy Sunday, a famous evangelist. He preached like 100 million people in his life. This is like back between the Civil War and the Great War. This is like 1900. Preached to 100 million people before TV. Like he... He wasn't even on the radio. He was doing newspaper articles. 100 million. 
You see, under his ministry, a million people came forward bound the knee for salvation. One million people received Christ through his ministry. Sounds awesome. But I read the story of his life. All four of his kids died before 25. Because he left his children to go be a minister. Him and his wife put, give the kids to a nanny, and they bailed. And those kids, their minds broke, their hearts broke, and they all died angry and alone. I was sitting with my kids, I was sitting with the children, my kids, after I read these stories. I asked my children, which is a dangerous question to ask. So I've come to realize that one of my greatest calls in life is not to be a pastor. It's to be a godly man, a godly husband, and a godly father. I asked my children, have you ever felt that I put the needs of the ministry above you guys. It's a scary question to ask the kids. They're 10 and 8, and when they're that young, they're honest. They don't know any better. I can't give any... Yeah, they, trust me. And my daughter told a story. My daughter was like, Dad, remember that one time we had a date? We, sometimes we go on dates, me and, me, like, I'll, me and Lena one month, and me and Nessa the next month. We'll go out to like McDonald's, and it's just daddy, son, or daddy, daughter date. So remember that time we were, on, we were on a date and we got a phone call because someone got in a car accident and it was really scary and you had to go to the hospital. I'm like, I remember. Yeah, I remember. So like, yeah, take me home and drop me off. I'm like, I remember. I'm waiting for her to say something like, so did you feel unloved? Did you feel like I let you down? She goes, no, Dad. She's like, so I know you loved me. I know that we had to take care of this. She's like, that was only one time. I can't remember any more times than that that had happened. And both my kids answered and said, we know you love us. You come home for us. And that was a very good meal. We have been chosen for a purpose. I'm using family as an example, but it could be many things. Maybe you're gifted, talent, maybe, maybe you're a great writer and God's called you to write of God's story, of God's goodness. Write! Maybe you're an artist, a musician, and God's given you the ability to just make just music or to paint beauty, whatever art God's given you, the gift he's given you, use that gift for his glory. That's an awesome purpose to have. God has chosen you for a reason. You are not an accident. You don't have to be a pastor to be used by God in this world. There are many gifts. And in churches, we often think, if I don't have the one talking gift, I'm useless. That's not true. God gives men and women to... St there are things every one of you can do that I cannot do. The gifts God's given you, use them. And they might be in ways that no one ever celebrates. There never may be a ticker, ticker, ticker tape parade held in your honor. But if you fulfill your purpose, you go to sleep a satisfied person. There's a movie I saw once called Unbreakable with Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson. I was going to college in Chicago at the Moody Bible Institute where the rule is no movies. I'd go to movies, but whenever I broke the rules, I'd always go to the dean's office, give him my movie slip and say, I broke the rules, punish me. So I want to be a good person. 
My wife told me being good would be obedience before you, and I'm like, oh, you're crazy. <laughs> um, but I went to see Unbreakable, and the movie shook me bad. It's the only movie in my entire life where I left the movie, walked back to the dorms, found a buddy, walked back, watched it again the same day. And the reason this movie shook me so much, it's a movie about purpose. Whenever I feel like it's too hard or I'm discouraged, I watch Unbreakable to remind myself God's called me for a purpose. There's this moment in the movie where the main, the, the, one of the main characters says, one of the worst things in this life is not knowing why you're here. And it's true. If you feel like, I have no idea, I, I feel like a waste of space, I feel like I, I have, no one cares if I'm here or not, that lie is poison. It, it, it just destroys. We have a purpose. You have a purpose. God has chosen you for his family for a reason. It's a good and beautiful thing. But here's the rub. Here's the rub. God says, he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. We are chosen for a purpose. That means we are chosen to suffer. If you decide to live your life not for yourself, what are the two great commandments? Love God, love people. That's it. If you do those two things, you're going to suffer. If you decide you want to love people, if you open your heart to the, your neighbors and your family and your coworkers, if you open your life and your heart, guess what? You can get stabbed. I was at a wedding yesterday talking to people around tables. It's crazy to me how many stories I still hear of just God's church wounding people in ways it takes years to recover from. I've been there. Some of the most sensitive scars I have are not from the big bad world, but from God's people who I just trusted inherently. That happens. And here's what I've come to learn. After the church kicked my wife and I in the teeth, we asked ourselves, are we done? We prayed, Lord, we, 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 just, we just, let's get a job. This is too hard, it's too brutal. Loving these people that are mean. <laughs> and we prayed about it for one day, and the Lord very clearly was like, this, I'm going to say a brutal quote, brutal quote from St. Augustine. I didn't say this, he said it. Augustine once said, the church is a whore, but she is my mother. I love that. And she nasty. She's my mom, dude. And what am I going to do? I love her. And the church can hurt people. She can, she, can, she can look ugly and nothing like 
the God she claims to serve. But there's no other place to be a Christian. I'm not trying to get you to come to Flint City. Like, Joe and Kat are here today. Hey, Joe and Kat. They live out in Wisconsin now. And we love Joe and Kat. And they're pregnant again. Whoop, whoop. And that's, everyone knows that. It's not, it's not anything. It's on Facebook. Okay? They're having another girl. So it's going to be three girls and Joe in one house. Ah, okay, so. Uh, <laughs> so Joe moved away to Wisconsin. We weren't like, Joe left us, man. He sucks. We didn't do that at all. We were like, okay, God's called them. We, we, we celebrated how they're going to bring God's kingdom to another place wherever they go. Um, if God calls you somewhere else, we're going to celebrate and we're going to encourage you to be where God wants you. We don't own anybody. We don't own you. We will never call you and try to manipulate you into any... Even when we offer you ministry opportunities, we're never going to try to sneak and manipulate you. You better be there on Wednesday or you're not a Christian. We're not going to do that crap to you. You are all free in Christ. You understand? But when you choose to love people, you're going to suffer. Listen, in Flint Town, you know how many church members we buried for overdoses? You know how many people we've had get clean for a year or two, and they fall back into the bottle, and we have to go. It's painful. It's aw- I've had some people say, say, say personally, like, this is so hard. How do we keep doing this? I'm like, this is the choice we make. Choosing to love is choosing to suffer. And beyond that, you choose to love people, and they suffer. Guess what? Their suffering becomes your suffering. When you watch someone you love hurt, you hurt. When you watch someone you love turn from God, you hurt. You watch someone you love be treated unjustly, you hurt with them. Choosing to love is choosing to hurt. It would be easier to go home and hide from the world behind a a computer and be a troll all day. That would be easier. Hard-hearted, alone, disobedient. God has not called you to stay in your apartment or in your basement all day throwing rocks at people. God's called you to engage other humans and to love them as Christ loved you. And it's hard because sometimes they're racist. Serious. And sometimes they're sexist. And sometimes they're just mean. And still, we walk in this world and we give people the benefit of the doubt and we attempt to love them the way Christ loved us. But we do. It's what we do. We are chosen to suffer. Got a text last night from a lady and her husband has covid He's in the hospital. It's real bad. I know him, and I know I know him and her. I know their son, and I know she loves her husband. She loves him, and she has to watch him alone suffer in the hospital, and that's got to be a weight to carry. And this boy loves his father, 
And when something like this happens, all that deep affection becomes burden. It's worth the cost. We, the people we love do move away. They do die. But it truly is better to have loved than lost than to never have loved at all. It is better. It really is. Miss Helen, you're shaking your head. It is. How long were you married, Miss Helen? 38 years. Buried her husband last year. It is better to have loved and lost than not to have loved at all. Man, you're hurting me, Helen. Oh, um, I love you too, Miss Helen. We are called to suffer, but here's the deal. The he who calls us to suffer is not saying do as I do. He's not saying do as I say, not as I do. The Christ has suffered. Christ is saying, follow me on the way I have walked. Christ, you understand, Christ, he suffered for those he loved, for us. He, he, wa- he, he came from heaven to earth. He walked the road of the cross. He let us mock him and said, forgive them for they know not what they do. We spewed hate. He took that hate and didn't give it back. And today, we're going to take communion together. 